Amen. Well, today we are continuing in our sermon series entitled Stirred Up. And we've been considering how God throughout human history, and no doubt seen in scripture, when God's people go through a season of struggle or a season of complacency, that God doesn't leave his people there. He stirs up the spirits of his people, and he does that in different ways. And we began by looking at the Old Testament prophet Haggai, how God sent this prophet to God's people in a time where God's temple was lying in ruins. God's temple wasn't being rebuilt. It was sitting there while God's people were taking care of their own homes, taking care of their own lives. And God sent that prophet Haggai, and he, God spoke a word of conviction through him, letting God's people know, hey, you're taking care of your own houses. You're taking care of your own lives. But God said, my house is lying in ruins. And with that word of conviction came a word of encouragement. Haggai said these four words, I am with you. And with those words, God stirred up the spirit of his people to join together to rebuild the temple. That temple where God's presence and light was available for the world. We shifted then our attention to the New Testament where God's presence and light is not so much found in a physical temple or building, but in and amongst his people. And so two weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and what it meant to be built up. And then last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, what it means to be connected up. And we reflected last week how each and every single one of us is important. And I shared this word of truth with you. You are important to New Providence Presbyterian Church. And we shared that word with one another. My prayer is that you had a chance to share that with someone else this week, whether through a text message or a phone call or I said maybe driving by someone's house and beeping your horn five times, right? Whatever it takes to encourage and let people know that they are important to our church and that you are. And so today we're going to shift our focus. We're going to take that even deeper and talk about what it means to partner up as a church. What does it mean for us to be in partnership in the gospel? And where do we get that from? We get that from the New Testament letter of Philippians. That's one of many places where it talks about what it means to partner up. Philippians, a letter written to a community of Christians in the ancient city of Philippi. The Apostle Paul writing with his protege, Timothy, writing this letter to these Christians to encourage them, but also to bring unity to their lives. Because there were some disagreements within that church community. And in the beginning, Paul lays out his heart for these people. And in the beginning of this letter, he lays out also their relationship. And it's a relationship that's not only for the first century, but we see it have echoes and reflections into our relationships here in the 21st century. And so we're gonna look at Philippians chapter one, verses one through six, and consider that God is calling us to rebuild as a people and to seek to rediscover our life together as a church. Let me say again, God is calling us to rebuild as a people and to seek to rediscover our life together as a church. And this is coming out of the pandemic. And in light of that, we are gonna see that God also calls people together as partners in Christ, right, to discover, to embrace and to share the life-transforming hope of Jesus Christ. And God calls his people together to partner together in this. And so looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, hear this introduction. And, and as I read this, consider the relationship between Paul, Timothy, and these dear Philippians. Um, get a sense of how they related and God's calling on their life. Starting at verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Right here, so an ancient letter, which is different than ours, right? The, an ancient letter begins with those who are writing the letter. So it says Paul and Timothy. This, these are the individuals who are writing this letter, as opposed to us who would say, Dear Kate and Adam, right? I would write to the addressees first in a letter today. But back then, introduced by the ones who were writing the letter. So Paul and Timothy are writing this letter to this community of Christians in Philippi. And I love how Paul and Timothy describe themselves. Servants of Christ Jesus. Right out of the gate. They're letting these Philippian Christians know that they belong to someone else. They belong to Christ. And therefore, what they're writing in this letter is not their own words, but they're under the authority of Jesus. They belong to Christ as servants. And so right out of the gate, they let these Philippian Christians know that these are words ultimately from God himself. And then who's this addressed to? It says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. This description is important. It's to all God's holy people. Holy, which means set aside for a purpose. Set aside for God's purposes in the world. Why are they set aside? Because here Paul says that they're in Christ Jesus. It's one of Paul's favorite descriptions of being a Christian, to be in Christ, to be included in Christ, connected to Christ. And so because they put their faith, trust, and belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior, because they believe that he died for the forgiveness of their sins, because they believe the good news message, that in fact his life, his death, and his resurrection overcame all sin, evil, and death itself, they were included in Christ, set aside as a new, as a new people, adopted into God's family as holy people. Paul writes to them, reminding them who they are, and to them and also to the overseers and deacons, right, the leadership of that church, with overseers, which is equivalent to our pastors and elders, and deacons, equivalent to our deacons in terms of care and compassion. So right in the beginning, he shares their relationships and who they are, and then he gives, shares, here's what everything you need, grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that's needed is given in this initial greeting. But then Paul gets personal. He gets personal with his relationship with them. And these words just echo in my heart as I think about these words. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Here Paul's letting them know, he says, every time, every time I think of you, Paul says, I thank God for you. He says, and when I pray for you, I pray with joy. I remember Growing up reading these letters in the New Testament, thinking, come on, Paul, really? Do you really do this every single time? I mean, you started all these different churches. Like, this is before spreadsheets and Google Docs. How do you even remember all these churches and places, right? I remember thinking, how is, is he really boldly claiming that he actually does this? Well, now I've lived a little bit. You can tell right here. I've lived a little bit. And because of that, being a pastor and serving in multiple churches, I get what Paul's talking about. Because every time I think of Maple Valley Presbyterian Church near Seattle, Washington, the first church where I served as a small group pastor, I thank God for them. And I see names. I see Nate. I see Cindy. I see Brian. I see names. I see their faces. I th- every time I think of Restoration Church in Virginia, I thank God for them. And I see names and faces. And now here at New Providence Presbyterian Church, yes, every day I thank God for you. And in my prayers, I pray with joy for you. I get a little bit of what Paul's talking about. Here, Paul, the great apostle, and he loved these churches, loved these Philippians. 
And he prayed with joy. Well, why? Going to verse 5, we see praise with joy because of their partnership. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And here's the center of gravity of this passage, the word partnership. This is more than a loose relationship. Partnership, which is, is translated from the great Greek word koinonia, which is typically translated as fellowship. Right? This is a lot deeper than donuts and coffee or hanging out with friends when we say, hey, we're going to have a little fellowship today. I mean, that points to a deeper reality because it's in the midst of those donuts and coffee and hanging out together. That's where deeper relationships can form. But here, Paul's talking about something so much more deeper. He's talking about a supernatural partnership, a shared participation that's marked by a shared life together. And here he says, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Note that this partnership isn't rooted in a political party. It's not rooted in a common cause. It's not rooted in anything of this world. It's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in Jesus himself. And he prays with joy because this partnership began when they put their faith and trust and belief in Jesus and started to follow Jesus as a community. And they began to partner together to share this good news, not only in Philippi, but had echoes all around the Mediterranean region. Paul prayed with joy because they shared in that life together in this partnership. And he continues on in verse 6. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here, Paul's saying with proper confidence, God's going to continue this work. God doesn't just start something and walk away. God's going to continue it. He's going to continue it to the very end. And he says, until the day of Christ Jesus, which speaks to the day that Jesus will be magnified, glorified, and exalted when he returns. In essence, it's the day of judgment. And he says, until that day, God is going to keep that work going. He is not going to stop. And he's seen that in these Philippian Christians, and that's the promise of God for all who follow Christ. He says he's confident of this. Paul's confident that God who began that good work is not going to stop. The Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit takes up residence, does a work of transformation and restoration to make us more and more like Jesus over time as we give ourselves to him. And that work of restoration should make us become more like Jesus to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and it goes on. Or if we read the gospel accounts, we can see what Jesus is like. We could ask ourselves, are we becoming more like him? How does he respond to those who are struggling? How does he respond to those who are left out? How does he respond looking at Jesus and then checking our heart, seeing is our heart becoming more like his heart over time. Paul was confident that God had begun that work and he was gonna continue it all the way until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that description. So what does this mean for us today? As we think about what it means to partner up and to be in this type of partnership as followers of Christ, are we expected to do this alone? Are you expected to figure this out on your own? Standalone Christian. Just give me the the to-do list, figure it out, and hope for the best. The good news is the answer is no. You're not expected to do alone. God has given us the gift of the local church for us to partner up together to grow in Christ together. And for all of us together, to join up together, to, to get to a point of being able to discover, embrace and share the hope, the life-transforming hope of Jesus together. 
We're not meant to figure this out alone. Um, and you heard me at points kind of liken, I love looking at the parallels between physical fitness and spiritual fitness. Right? To some extent, people can do so much on their own in terms of physical fitness, in terms of running or exercising. But it's when you're in the context of others who are both keeping you accountable, encouraging you, working out with you, that's typically when people make great gains in terms of physical fitness. If that's true for physical fitness, how much more for spiritual fitness? Right? We cannot expect to grow in Christ on our own. We weren't ex- we're not expected to. We may make heroic efforts and do Bible studies or memorize all of Revelation inside and out, backwards. And, and if you've done that, good for you, but most haven't. I don't think anyone has. But the fact that even if you do that on your own, there's only so much growth. God wants us to team up and to partner up together. And for every person who's done this, who's a part of God's family, that's the promise of God, that he's given us the gift of one another in partnership. Partnership in the gospel. A shared life together. Um, and all of us are part of that team. Anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus are part of that team. And you've been named and put on that team. Um, it makes me think of a time where uh, it was a different kind of partnership. It was the beginning of uh, our venture into youth sports. And our oldest daughter at that point, first time she was on a softball team. I remember getting the email from the coaches saying, hey, um, the manager's like, I'm the manager. Here's the couple coaches. Here's the practice schedule. Uh, when you come, you know, we'd love to meet you. And, uh, and on, if you want to help out, just let us know. And so showed up, and here's Cambria warming up. I was seeing left field, and I saw the manager and a couple coaches in right field. I, in enthusiasm, hopped the fence and went over and started walking up. And Paul was the manager, and he said, hey, what's your name? I go, Jeff. He goes, hey, Coach Jeff. <laughs> I'm like, Coach Jeff? I'm like, I decided to be a coach. He goes, you are now. He's like, that's recruiting. I mean, that is recruiting right there. Now, it just happened that I played baseball through high school. I loved it, and, and deep down inside, I, maybe I'm a little needy. I wanted to be needy. I wanted to be part of the coaching staff. I'm like, this would be great. I'm included. So I was, you know, it worked both ways. But what an incredible picture of recruiting. I said my name, and all of a sudden, I was coach. Right? Listen, if you make yourself available to God, and you respond in faith and trust and belief, you're a part of that family. Right? And so if you say your name, he says, Welcome. Welcome to the family. If you say the name of Jesus and you believe that who he is, he, he is who he said he is. You're a part of the team. And God says, welcome. Um, and so as you think about that in your life, you think about partnership, I want us to think of, take a moment this morning to, to really step back and consider what does it mean to be in partnership together as a family. Now, in our denomination, um, it's ECO, E-C-O, which stands for the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. Right, there's a description, a lovely description of what it means to be in partnership as part of the essential tenets they've laid out, which is, in essence, laying out the basics of the, of the Christian faith. And in the essential tenets, it talks about what it means to be a covenant partner. Now, what is a covenant partner? That, I might have lost some of you just with those two words. Right, typically, as you think about the church, you think of membership. And yes, it is like membership. A member, but the problem is with members, lots of times we think of members of a club where you pay dues and you, you passively receive like services or, or goods from that, from that club. The church is so much more. So God calls us to be covenant partners. What do I mean by that? Going back, let's start with the word partner. Right, to partner up, to be in partnership, saying that this is a, a, a team effort. It's not just one person. It's not just one group giving to another. It's, it's being in it together as a partner. And it goes back to that word in, in Philippians 1.5 when he says, I thank God, I pray with joy because of your partnership 
in the gospel. We're called to partner up and to do it in a covenantal way. The word covenant, think about it in scripture. A covenant is, is, a, is a loving, binding agreement between either two individuals or two groups. And here, typically in the Bible, we see it's God who initiates that covenant relationship. And with that covenant relationship, yes, comes benefits, but also obligations. But the obligations lead to the benefits. Because as you engage in that covenant relationship together, that's where you receive those benefits. And it comes in the midst of the relationship. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it carried on into the New Testament. That God is the one who initiates that covenant relationship. And God's people respond to that invitation. And by doing so, by living into God's call in their life, yes, they're obligations, but they're wonderful obligations because they're from God. And as we invest and give our lives more and more to him, we receive those benefits of receiving his love and grace and sharing that with one another. So that's why our denomination has come up with the term covenant partners as opposed to just members. Because we're called to do this in a covenantal way. You think about a marriage. When someone, it's, not, it's more than a contract. Uh, a covenant is when you come together and there's, yes, there's mutual, there's obligations, but there's wonderful blessings and benefits from being in that committed relationship. That's the step in terms of becoming a member or a covenant partner of a local church. And that's why we go through a membership process to really consider what that means, what that commitment is. Because it's more than just saying, hey, I'll be a member and then hope for the best. There's an actual set of guidelines and expectations and benefits that come from it. So what are those? Let me give this description from our essential tenets in terms of a covenant community. I'm going to do a little, I typically don't do this, but I think it calls for some reading today to really lay out this covenant partnership. Right? In Christ, we are adopted into the family of God and find our new identity as brothers and sisters of one another since we now share one Father. Our faith requires our active participation in that covenant community. Right? That's what's laid out in the essential tenets you know, of the beliefs, the basic beliefs of the Christian faith. So what are some of the benefits of that covenant partnership? Right? Laid out in the constitution of our denomination, I think this is it's, it's written so much better than I can say it, so I'm going to read this to you. The benefits of covenant partnership. Becoming a covenant partner is important, not only to the congregation, but even more importantly for the covenant partner, as they are positioned to receive encouragement, support, and correction that the Lord promises to those who share spiritual fellowship. In committing to the cause of a life lived in and through Jesus Christ, covenant partners grow in Christian community together to become more Christ-like. Continuing on, in Christian community, we realize the fullness of life together and the life in Christ and discover our unique place in a common mission and narrative of God's work. The covenant partner and the congregation are both blessed and become a great blessing as they covenant together intentionally in Christ's work. Now that's a picture, right? If, and I'll send this out in an email as part of the, the weekly email as well, but in terms of the benefits of being a covenant partner, of really investing and not just showing up every so often, but really investing in the life of the church and those relationships, the benefits that are there. So with that, we all want the benefits. But do we want to put in the commitment, the investment, and even the work? Well, there are some expectations. 
And that's what a covenant is about. If you want to live in, you want to receive the benefits and blessings, there are the obligations. Let me read you the descriptions of the expectations of covenant partnership as well. Each covenant partner shall strive to be faithful to Christ by participating in the congregation's worship, fellowship, and service on an ongoing basis. Faithfulness in Christ as a covenant partner involves a commitment to growth and spiritual maturity as a disciple of Christ and dedication of time and talents to the congregation's mission and ministry in accordance to the gifts that God has bestowed on him or her. Faithfulness involves the stewardship of finances as each covenant partner grows in the grace of giving. Financial support of the congregation's mission and ministry should grow along with tangible support for other ministries that advance God's kingdom. Let me pause there. So if you look at this in terms of what it means, the expectations, right? As you think about those initial three descriptions, worship, fellowship, and service. In so many ways, you get out what you put in, right? So when you worship and you choose to worship and you're here, whether in person or joining us online, right? That's that's a step of dedication. That's a step of investment. There's a lot of other things you could be doing. You could be preparing for more NCAA basketball this afternoon today. But right now, you are worshiping God instead. It's very hard to do that. Yes, but we are. But then there's investments in fellowship, investments in relationships, that shared life, and investment in service. Those obligations lead to those benefits as you give and give more. And, and as, as we've just talked about in the past in terms of finances, as we give to God's purposes in the world, our hearts move towards what's on God's heart. And that's all part of the financial picture, all of us in terms of giving, what that looks like. Continuing on in terms of expectation, those who are invited, this talks about leadership, those who are invited to take significant leadership roles in the congregation should be spiritually mature, carefully selected, trained and or mentored, ordinarily be covenant partners for at least a year, and shall agree and adhere to the essential tenets of ECO, the denomination. So in terms of covenant partners, God's given us this partnership. God's given us the gift of leaders, right? Elders and deacons to help nurture and develop that partnership. And that's part of the role of what an elder and a deacon is. An elder is to give spiritual leadership, right? Deacons to provide care and compassion. And together to really nurture that, that sense of partnership and that one team and one family church approach. And so as we think about that, a couple more definitions. I just want to give quickly a ministry of elders. Elders are given authority and responsibility along with pastors to oversee the spiritual health of the congregation as well as the congregation's faithfulness to God's mission. Deacons lead ministries that nurture fellowship and caregiving within and beyond the congregation. So as we think about those roles, I do want to take a brief moment because we're in that time of the year now where we enter into the nominating process. Right? So each year, it's, it's up to us as a congregation, up to you, to provide recommendations to our nominating committee in terms of those who are to serve as elders and deacons and other roles such as our finance committee or members at large which serve on our nominating committee. And so today you'll see out on the table, and, you've, and you'll, this is accessible online too, is a form you can fill out. And I invite you to consider and pray about who would you recommend who's spiritually mature to be an elder in our church? Who would you recommend that has a gift of care and compassion to be a deacon in our church? Who would you recommend that has some of the financial backgrounds to serve on our finance committee or to be an auditor. Those options are all available on this piece of paper and form. Now, I'm still new or newish, I like to say. I've only been here almost nine months. 
But the word on the street is there are not a lot, not a lot of recommendations that are handed in. And our nominating committee is then forced to then try and figure it out and maybe pull like a, a manager, Paul, from years ago, being like, what's your name? Oh, good, you're an elder. No, it's, it's, not, it's not that close. <laughs> what about this? What if we surprised our nominating committee by, how about overwhelming them a bit with some recommendations this year? I, I, I challenge you to do this. Come up with at least one name. Let's make them work a little bit. No, I mean, but actually it'll work less because they'll have that, that list. But so if you have someone, I, dare, I, I asked you to fill that out and consider that um, because this is important. Now, again, clearly this is a recommendation to make a recommendation. doesn't mean they'll automatically be nominated because that's the, the, the committee has to prayerfully discern who's actually nominated for those roles. But to get those recommendations, um, I'd love to see that as a church, what we can do because I can't see it all. Our elders and deacons can't see it all. We need you to help provide these recommendations. Um, but back to us is in terms of partnership, thinking about what does it mean for us to partner up. All these pieces come together, right? So as a church family, we can live into our shared calling in Christ. Um, so finishing up, one thing to remember, one thing to do as we pull this all together. God calls people together as partners in Christ, right, to discover, embrace, and share the life-transforming hope of Jesus. And one thing to do out of all this is this. I ask that you prayerfully consider, prayerfully consider renewing your commitment as a covenant partner of New Providence Presbyterian Church or to inquire about the possibility of becoming one. Right, today, March 27, 2022, there's only one. Right, as we look to come out of this pandemic and move forward as a church, for us to prayerfully consider what does it mean to renew that commitment, to say, in light of what you've heard today, in light of and understanding what it means to have this shared life together, to say, I'm going to renew that sense of commitment as a covenant partner. Or if you haven't, and maybe you've held back for whatever reason, saying, I'm not sure if I want to become a covenant partner or a member. There's lots of valid reasons. If you haven't had your questions answered, I would love to meet with you. If you have a question about our church, maybe in terms of belief and theology, if it's in terms of relationships, maybe something from the past, if reconciliation has to happen, if whatever's holding you back from being a part of this covenant community, I would love to help you, and I know our elders and deacons would love to help you figure that piece out, but start with me. I would love to have a conversation with you because my prayer and goal is that all of us would partner up in the gospel like we read in Philippians 1.5. That partnership that gave the great joy to the Apostle Paul is what we can experience today as a church family. So I'm going to give us a chance to pray about that in a moment. Um, but finishing up with some questions for reflection that, that, that help us go deeper. One, what does it mean to truly partner with someone or a group of people in a shared commitment? Think about that this week. And what does, number two, what does a supernatural partnership in the gospel look like in light of Philippians 1, 1 through 6 and this sermon? Like what's different about that type of partnership? And three, how is God inviting and calling you to renew your commitment as a covenant partner of New Promise Presbyterian Church? or to inquire about the possibility of becoming one. Uh, may God lead you in that discernment this week as we seek to partner up as a church family. Let's pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Fathers, we have come to this uh, great passage in Philippians 1. Thank you for the Apostle Paul's words of his great joy that he had of, because of the partnership in the gospel that he shared with these early Christians. Lord, that opportunity is available for us today. And God, you call us and invite us to partner up in Christ. So I pray for each person today, Lord, if, if they are a member of New Providence Christian Church or a covenant partner, 
that you would stir up their spirits to consider what it means to renew that sense of commitment. God, you know what they're going through. You know their story. Just like those Old Testament people who needed a word of encouragement to be stirred up, I pray that you would stir up their spirits. And for others who have not yet made that commitment, maybe you've been part of our church for years, but have thought, I'm not really in that position to become a member or covenant partner. Whatever's holding that person back, I pray that you would allow them to enter into that with you. And if that means a conversation with me or with others, Lord, that we would have those conversations so we would remove every barrier to your grace that could come from that covenant partnership. God, you know what needs to happen. But Lord, for all of us, help us to fix our eyes on you and as we partner together, indeed, Lord, that we together can discover, embrace, and share the life-transforming hope of Jesus Christ as a church family. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.